Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And you know, I'm going to speak for myself on this, but maybe all nesters, since I've been hearing from a lot of you lately, that I think this guest that we have on the show today, Marjorie, is the person that we all need. We need her. We're going to take a collective deep breath and she is, she's going to help us. Do you agree? Well, I agree because it's back to school time and summer ending for me was always filled with a little bit of sadness because the kids and I would usually travel in the summer. And so it sort of bent the end of our freedom in a way. (laughs) And it also just, it just goes back and it means we're all diving back into logistics, heavy logistics. And I'm going back to school next week. Your kids are going back to school. All of most of the people who listen to this podcast have kids that are going back to school. And I think it's just it's a heightened tension time. So, yes, I think this is the perfect guest. How I always look at it, too, as like a real opportunity to sort of redefine what I want my days to look like, because I feel the same way. I love having kind of these easy mornings and all of that. But at the same time, to me, September has always felt like a new beginning, much more of a new beginning (laughs) than January. I don't want to begin anything new in January. I want to like sit in sweatpants and cozy up with something warm to drink. Like I don't want a new beginning. I'm surviving, but (laughs) this is how business businesses have it right. Because the start of their fiscal year is usually July. And that just makes so much more sense. I think we ought to just, we just ought to think of it differently. I I agree with you. September is better than January. It's nice to have sort of that new beginning. And I always find that it's sort of this fresh start of, um, I've been thinking a lot about like, what do I want my mornings to look like as I sort of integrate? What time are we going to get the kids to school? What are the things that I need to do for them? And then what, how can I carve out some more time for myself? Um, But I think as we look at sort of balancing both of those two perspectives that you and I have on this. Um, Our guest today, Kelly Smith, is absolutely perfect for this. So Kelly has been on the podcast before. If you're a longtime listener, you know her. She's also a frequent guest on Twin Cities Live because we adore her. And her website is yogaforyouonline.com. She's the host of the Mindful in Minutes podcast. I rave about her meditations because I think she's wonderful 
at guiding us through meditation. And she has a new project that is coming out September 5th, which is so exciting. It's a brand new book. And so Kelly, we want to welcome you back to Best to the Nest. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Oh my gosh. You guys are always so kind. You just build me. I always feel like a million bucks after I talk to you, Elizabeth. You're too kind. Oh gosh. It's all so well-deserved and, um, and we're so happy that you're here. So, you know, for a lot of people who are familiar with you from, um, your podcast and from, um, you know, watching your videos online. And, and of course I've been to one of your sound bath experiences in person, which is so great. I, it's a natural extension, I would think to come out, with a book, but tell us about this book because this isn't just like a history of meditation or a, which is all good and interesting, but this is really like a guidebook and a way for us to think of meditation as a practice instead of what we all think of everything in America as like this, oh, this end game <laughs> that I can achieve. Yeah. So this book, it's called Mindful Minutes, A Meditation Guide for a Modern Family. And I really created it as sort of the guide that like I would have wanted as I started navigating motherhood. Not only how can I use meditation to support myself, but how can I start talking to my kids about meditation? What are really easy, simple ways to start introducing mindfulness into my family? And so I really just wanted to create like the book and the guide that had I not been a meditation teacher, I would have wanted because I feel like, you know, and, and I hear this all the time from other parents, even students of mine, maybe they understand as a parent, the benefits of meditation or they dabbled a little bit, but they know it could be great for their kids, but it's like, where do you start? Like, how do you even get your kids, you know, to do this? Or how do you meditate with your partner? How do you meditate when you're pregnant, which is a section in the book, right? So oh, I, love I really just, yeah, I just wanted to create the thing that like I would have wanted as a parent trying to um, introduce mindfulness into my family system at all different stages. How old are your kids? I have a two-year-old and I have one on the way that will, could be here any day now between us. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully not, but we are now oh, at the stage where it's like, thank you. We're at the stage oh. where it's like, I could have a baby tomorrow in a month. We, we won't know. Oh my oh, gosh. If your just... water breaks during this podcast, just go. It's okay. We've <laughs> yes. got it. Like I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just waddle, waddle out <laughs> from experience. That second one can come a lot faster than the first. You gotta be on the lookout. <laughs> I have heard this and yes, I am, you know, on, on high alert, just in case. <laughs> so tell me about this idea because I am slightly obsessed with this idea, mostly because I think as a parent, we are not always aware of what we're modeling for our children and what we're modeling for our children. Many times are poor eating habits, poor exercising habits and poor mindfulness habits. And instead, I think we sort of model um, crazy schedules. We model sort of a hurry up and go life. We model consumerism. And I, I'm really becoming kind of, um, I took the train up to Chicago recently to see my son and I read Buddhist books the whole way. It's a 12 hour train ride. So I am, I am, just insane with this idea of how can we give the next generation the best tools to combat all of these things that are so harmful coming at them. So I'm obsessed with it. That's clear. What age can you start sort of 
teaching them and giving them the tools to own what's inside of them and to control what's inside of them? Oh, that's such a good question. And I love the word tool that you're using. I use that a lot in the book because for me, it's really about, you know, we know that meditation isn't necessarily like a quick fix. Like you can feel better immediately, but it really is like having tools in your toolbox that you don't know when in real life you're going to have to, you know, pull out this, this tool and utilize it. I find that, um, not only, I mean, you can start meditating with with your little ones, like when they're in utero, this is something that I personally find, um, to be really beneficial, you know, and, and we talk about pregnancy a lot of sunshine and rainbows, and it can be that it also can be extremely stressful. I get a lot of anxiety. I'm not usually an anxious person, but there's something about pregnancy and, you You're know, the change and all of that. You're yes. And your body is, your body is changing. Your life is changing. Right. You know, it's like, you never know where you need to pull these tools out of your toolbox, but in terms of like your kids, once they're outside and in the everyday world, we already talk about this stuff in my household with a two-year-old. And we, we kind of talk more about the foundational pieces of like introspection and how you are in control of your own actions and how you can get a lot of information by turning inwards. We talk a lot about, you know, looking inside or, you know, well, how is your heart feeling? Or can we just take a few deep breaths? You know, my my son is a classic two-year-old and sometimes is a hitter and he'll get mad and he'll hit whatever is, you know, nearby, which isn't my favorite thing, but, you know, it happens. And so it's talking a lot about like, you know, how are you, how are you feeling? What can we do when we feel like hitting? What's a good other option? Is it just taking a deep breath and then deciding if you still want to hit? Like teaching our kids, even at the age of two, like the practice of introspection and also the skill of a mindful pause, even if that mindful pause is a nanosecond, even that I think is such a powerful tool for their toolbox. And then you can only build upon that and get more complex as your kids get older. Mm-hmm. And how does this he respond so to that? So in terms of the, he wants to hit, because mm-hmm. that is perfectly normal to your yeah. own behavior. I mean, at least There's... he's not biting. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, my mom said I was a biter. That's what she said. She was like, oh, I was just worried he's going to be a biter like you. <laughs> Which is the worst. We were at the pool last night and a brother and sister went at it and one of them bit the other one. And it was, it was instant chaos. The, the And it yeah. was only the father at the pool and it was instant chaos and there was blood and it was crazy. Oh. So, but all of that is yeah. two-year-old behavior. So when you say that and he's mm-hmm. angry and he's trying to figure out what to do with that emotion, how does he respond to take a breath? You know, honestly, mixed. It depends. He's little, this idea is complex. A lot of times we'll talk about it after the fact, and then we can return to it again in the moment. Because if anyone else has had a hitter or a biter, it's not like you talk about it this one time and then it goes away magically for forever. And so a lot of times we'll talk about it after the fact, when you're kind of like in the heat of the moment, it's really hard to be like, okay, now let's just be mindful and let's open our hearts and let's turn inward, especially to a two-year-old, right? They run hot fast. So we'll talk about it after the fact. And then as we lay the foundation, it's getting better and better as we say, okay, like, you know, you can kind of see that pressure building like, okay, buddy, like just, you know, do you want to take a breath? Or if he looks like he's going to get mad and hit something say, Hey, you know, are, what are your hands feeling? And he'll say, sometimes his hands feel frustrated or, you know, what are your, or we'll say, (laughs) say, Oh, um, you know, hands, 
you could hit with hands or would you like a high five? You know, it's just these little things where if you can, I have found, and every kid is different, but if you can kind of talk about how they do have even a split second to kind of, you know, make a choice that that's been a huge thing, like in our household, but you know what? He's too. Also we're imperfect. This is something I try to like in the book, all the different chapters, they have a bunch of different topics, things like frustration, insomnia, resilience, all this stuff. I try to share some of the messier sides of motherhood because I feel like that's the stuff we don't talk about. And I think it's important to be like, you know what? It doesn't always work. I'm a meditation teacher and my kid still hits, even though we've been working on it for a while. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we take the mindful pause. Sometimes we're mad and, you know, whatever's standing by him is getting a high five to the face. It happens. And, <laughs> and I think that, and you know, it happens when I'm an adult too. Sometimes you get frustrated. Sometimes you respond the way that you're like, oh, okay, I feel good about the way I responded. Sometimes we don't. Mm-hmm. And that's just a part of the human experience. And so I think it's important too, that we kind of give our kids space and we give ourselves space to not have to always be perfect and to be that work in progress. Cause I think we just hold ourselves. I can't speak for either of you, but for myself, it's like, it's really hard to not hold yourself to this impossible standard, especially since I became a mother. It's like, I just, I want it to be right all the time. And it's just not, it's messy. No. Sometimes it's messy. A lot of the time it's learning. But I think we always want to model like perfection and the good for our kids. But I think letting them see some of the cracks sometimes too can be helpful or to see that even as an adult, sometimes you have to, you know, work on things that perfection isn't the expectation that we're just, we're giving it a try. Well, I think communication has to be the expectation with, in motherhood with your children. And Elizabeth and I have talked a lot about that, about how we communicate to our kids. And certainly my husband was getting his master's when my kids were little. And so he was gone at nights a lot of the time. Well, he was gone during the day and then he was actually working at night. He was doing a radio show. And so it was me and the kids. And I just always would have to communicate my way through that because I was working too. I was tired. And so I just had to communicate my way through that. But I think what you're talking about and what I think is so cool about it is the idea that it may not work immediately, but at four, at five, at six, you've developed or you've started to develop this pathway of choice for a child of there's another way to respond. It's not just hitting. It's not just screaming out. It's not just a tantrum. And I think I, I did, I did do a certain amount of that with our kids. My husband, I did is there's another way to behave and you have to, and, but that doesn't happen. Like you said, in an instant, it happens over years, Mm -hmm. but that's what I love. And what's so exciting about what you're talking about is planting these seeds when they're very young which is wonderful. It's a practice. I mean, it's not just about trying to achieve, okay, now I'm a self-regulated person. I mean, it's a daily practice. And I think that's something that we miss so much culturally in so many areas of our life. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's not like you make a great meal and a super healthy meal. And you're like, okay, I achieved perfection with that meal. And now I'm done with meals. I have finished it and I can move (laughs) on and I will never have to do that again. You know, It's, it is so much more about, uh, about a practice. I love, um, what I have found with this idea of meditation is that it's very difficult for me and you know how much I love you and respect you and what you do. And so I love this idea of integrating meditation 
into other things that you're doing. And I think that some of what you do in the book as well, I talk about the garden being my meditation or how I pipe in Kelly's meditations a lot when I'm in the sauna. It's not realistic for me. And I don't know if it is really for a lot of people to think about meditation and being present always has to mean removing yourself from life and only focusing on trying to keep thoughts out of your head. Like that doesn't even feel that relaxing <laughs> to me. To me, it's really about how can I incorporate meditation and stillness and presence into the things that I'm doing in my life? Is that, I mean, are those two things at odds, Kelly? Or is that, you know, they're, either or they're or not, <laughs> you know what it can be. I always like to tell people like meditation can be what you want it to be. Meditation itself is just single pointed concentration. So we're focusing on one thing at a time. I always describe it as our minds, like a light bulb when we're walking around every day, the lights on it's shining in all directions. When we meditate, we turn the light bulb into a laser pointer. And then we're just pointing that laser at something, our breath. But what I will say, you know, for example, our breath, what I will say is, especially when it comes to kids, little kids, like you know, are you going to pick up this book? And I'm going to say, okay. And then you're going to sit with your kids in silence and you're going to focus on your breath for eight minutes and repeat this mantra to yourself. No, because you know what? They're not going to do it. There is like, mm -hmm. as kids get older, like, you know, there's practices in there, like for teens and, you know, young adults, things like that. That's a little bit different, but when we're talking about children, like adolescents and little kids, one of the best ways to incorporate mindfulness and meditation into their lives is to practice it while doing. And so that can look like going for a family mindfulness walk where you say, okay, we're going to go out or even go into the backyard and say, we're going to go out into the backyard and we're going to experience the backyard through all of our senses. It's like, what do you hear? What does your skin feel? What do you smell? What do you see? And like having these experiences through doing I mean, that's teaching them a practice that's called like census cycling, which is maybe something we would do in a meditation workshop, but you can just take your kids out into the backyard and say, Hey, let's just check in with all of our senses. Or like if your kids, you know, I was thinking about what you guys were saying about back to school. Like, I remember that used to bring up some anxiety, like excitement in me as a kid, but also anxiety. It's like, it's new. You're going to see people you haven't seen in a while, like learning new things, a new grade, all of that. And you can go and you can do some of these things to help quell anxiety in the moment. And then you can apply that then later on when it's the first day of school and you're feeling nervous. But when you're working with kids in particular, not to say that your meditation practice is like childish in any way, but I think for a lot of us, you know, doing is one of the best ways to feel like we're in tune and we're connected and we're kind of in that flow. And I have found one of the keys to success in terms of meditation and mindfulness is making it feel like a thing that's always adding value to your life, not making it feel like another thing we have to check off the list. Because if we're doing that, then it's like, it defeats the purpose. And you're like, oh, and now it's nine o'clock at night and I haven't gotten my meditation in. And it just feels like another one of those things that you have to just check off the list because whatever, because I said it was good for you because, you know, Elizabeth and I are on Twin Cities Live talking about how it changes your brain. Like if it's not enjoyable and it doesn't feel fulfilling and nourishing, you're probably not likely to stick with it. So that's why I say like, make it what you want it to be. And a thing that really just is a value add to your life every day. 
I think that sometimes we we hear so many people say, you know, just be in the moment, be in the moment. And it just sort of washes over us. You know, it doesn't, unless you're really attending to that thought, it really doesn't mean anything. But if you actually step back to your point, Elizabeth, is if you're in the garden, if you're really appreciating what you're doing in that moment and you're looking at the leaves and you're looking at the flowers and you're appreciating what's actually happening there and you're doing with that with your kids, I think that's very meditative. I think that's very calming. I think that's very, you know, for you, it 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 nourishes your soul. It makes you feel in touch with who you are. I mean, isn't that isn't that foundationally meditation as well? I think I'm asking the same question mm-hmm. Elizabeth asked, but I, I think people sometimes forget that just slowing down and being present, we all hear that all the time, but really doing it mm-hmm. is a meditation in of itself. You know, it is. And I think it's something I personally really struggled with once I became a parent. I think actually the book opens up with me talking about um, something very similar. The first, one of the first chapters is around being present. And I shared this story in which I found myself getting so agitated, which the irony of, you know, oh, I'm a meditation teacher writing a book on meditation. And I'm really irritated at people. You know, it happens. It's human. But getting so agitated at all of those people who probably had adult children and they would see me out and about with my baby and they'd say, oh, you know, and and be present, enjoy these days, soak up this, you know, these days with the baby. And, you know, I related a lot to what you said, um, Marjorie, because my husband was still in residency and med school um, through the first year of of our son's life. And I kept getting so irritated because I was like, I know, and also I'm just trying to survive. Like I'm, you know, I'm alone overnight a lot. There's, you know, all of this craziness. My son to this day still seems to be allergic to sleep. It's just, I guess, a part of who he is. It's like, you know, you're surviving. But when I stopped and I, and I hit the pause button, cause we can learn a lot, if not more from the things that either don't go well or irritate us or get under our skin as we can, the things that like we find to be really easy and enjoyable. When I reflected on like, why is it that comment that makes me so mm-hmm. irritated? I realized that it, it wasn't because I thought they were wrong. It was because I knew that they were right. And yes. I was able to <laughs> yes. recognize yeah. like how almost detached I had become. And it's not to say that then in that moment, it's like, oh, magically, I was so present with my children all the time. Right. I was still surviving, but I tried to be intentional with having some moments of being like, you know what? Maybe I didn't have sitting here in this chair for two hours with a baby sleeping on me because they hate their crib on my to-do list for the day. I was going to do something else, but like, you know what? He is little. I, I can am. be present here. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm stuck in the chair. Yeah. We're just rocking and he's sleeping for 10 minutes or two hours. I don't know. We'll find out. And I did try to become more intentional with having at least these little pauses of being present. And And I've only had to continue that of prioritizing it because we all know that once we become a parent and not all moms necessarily kind of our household manager at the same time, but I certainly am for my household. It's like, you know, you're working, you're kind of running your whole household. You have this invisible mental load of everything going on with your different kids. You're thinking about, oh, and now it's time to do this. And I need to research potty training and then we're going to do this. It's like, there's so many plates that are just spinning, spinning, spinning. It's really hard to just be with your kids. And if they're taking a contact nap, just be there with them 
or if they're playing to just sit there even for a few minutes and just be like, Hey, let's just play together for a little bit and not at a bare minimum, have your mind elsewhere. That's only gotten harder since I became a parent, which is why that comment was definitely so triggering for me. And then it showed me kind of reflected upon myself that I needed to continue taking those intentional pauses, those breaks to be present. Because before you know it, the fast forward button is just pressed down, maybe aging myself from like cassette tapes and like VHS tapes where you had to hold down a fast forward button. But before you know it, it's like years have gone by. You're like, how did I get here? Tell me about it. Because my kids are 31 and 29. Marjorie (laughs) had one that was allergic to sleep too. Do you want to out him? Gar, we're talking about you. It it was really hard. It was really hard. And the the being present piece, I love the way you worked through that. And I think that's a really valuable lesson um, when you're feeling agitated and you're feeling, and this is why you are who you are, is because you have the presence and you have the training to say, why is this why is this bothering me? Why is this statement bothering me? And I love the idea that you came to the conclusion because people were right. You know, they were right to say, enjoy it, but it's so much harder to do. And I think for me, what was helpful and, you know, I have the benefit of my children are grown now, so I can see what worked and what didn't work. And believe me, there are things that worked and there are things that didn't work. But one of the things that worked was in that time where I was so overwhelmed and so tired and so alone a lot of the time in managing the kids at bedtime, which is a hard time. Mm -hmm. And what worked is to your point is to be present. And so I would be, be present in that moment and honest and being present and honest with them about my own fatigue. And Elizabeth has heard this story about one night, one of the kids was really mean to me. They said something really mean. And I just started crying. And I said, you have to understand, nobody's mean to me. <laughs> like I don't understand this. Like people at work are mean to me. Dad's not mean to me. I don't, it really, really hurts my feelings because it's not something I'm used to. And just having that really open conversation, and they were very young, how much they were actually understanding. I have no idea. But, but what has played out is my relationship with them as adults is still really communicative about what we're feeling and what we're going through. But it all goes back to that idea of being present and how hard that can be um, with young children. But, but it's also a matter of modeling that for them, for that little boy that you have that doesn't sleep. Trust me, I had one. It's going to be really important that he understands how to be mindful and how to slow down and how to be present. Um, I wonder about, oh, sorry, Marjorie, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just wondering, you know, as we talk about sort of how this impacts the dynamic of the family. So if we're able to integrate um, that mindful presence, my first thing that stands out is just this immediate, like calm for everybody's nervous system, which I think is what we so desperately need. Because when you look at all of the forces that are coming at us all the time. You know, I was just um, listening to, it was a podcast or I was reading something about how in our, in, you know, in our like caveman days, we were like in 80% rest and reset and 20% fight or flight, or maybe it was 90, 10. I don't know. And now it's the polar opposite. It might've been JC Lippold on Twin Cities Live who told me that, listen, you guys, I got a lot of info coming at me at all given times, which is great. Um, But 
And then now it's flipped where because of all of the inputs that we have coming in, our body is constantly trying to discern, is this a threat? Is this a not? Is it a threat? Is it not? So everything that comes at us, we have to decide that. And so there's that flash of fight or flight that's happening 90% of the time. And we're in rest and reset only 10% of the time. It's the, the nervous system being at a constant, like, I don't know if we're talking enough about how that's impacting our, our daily life. And I would assume Kelly, that, that daily meditation, this practice can help to just take that running at this at a high level and just kind of bring it down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also to kind of piggyback on that, you know, statistic of us being constantly in this fight or flight, the fight or flight mechanism in us was only designed to be activated for 60 to 90 seconds at a time, like back in caveman days per se, because you basically you're walking around Mm -hmm. a bear crosses your path and you're like, oh no, a threat, a danger, this bear could eat me. Within 60 to 90 seconds, that has resolved. Either the bear continued walking, maybe you froze and it didn't see you, it kept walking. Maybe, I don't know, you fought the bear and you won. Maybe you ran away and it didn't chase you or- Or you, you fought know. it and you're dead. I mean- Yeah, you're dead. You're not in fight or flight because you've passed on. Thanks for but, that, Elizabeth. You're welcome. Always here for a good time. Bringing us back down to earth. Yeah. And you're dead. But okay. yeah, Or you're dead, so you're not anxious. But- Anytime we had like a perceived threat within 60 to 90 seconds, it had resolved itself one way or another. And so it was designed to be a very, very short lived, albeit intense experience. But then you start going back to baseline and we can't distinguish between different kinds of threats. Just like you were saying, is this a threat? Is it not? Right. So that bear, our brains will take that and it'll do the same thing to when you have an uncomfortable conversation with someone, when, you know, someone sends you that email, Hey, do you have time for a call later today? And you're like, why can't you just email me? What the, what's the problem? Why can't you, you know, you get these like little things or, you know, your kid's starting a new school. You're worried about it, right? These things are prolonged. It's not just, I'm walking around. I'm a human. I see some kind of a threat. My body responds accordingly. And then in less than two minutes, it's resolved itself in some way, shape, or form. These things can be prolonged for, you know, hours, days, weeks, months, years, even years. Sometimes you can have, you know, that thing in the back of your mind. And so not only do I level is with what you're talking about of like the nervous system reset, but we also know like, as we, as adults are getting more kind of like anxious, high, strong, burnt out, overworked. So are our children. We know this, like the data supports us that our kids are, you know, especially like as we have screens and we do it, we're not a no screen family, right? But we have screen time. We have, you know, kids that are doing so much more than they ever did before. Like schools are getting even more like challenging and competitive, right? Like our kids are just following what we're experiencing as adults. And so we collectively as humans are living in this chronic fight or flight. And it goes back again to that, those tools in your toolbox. So then if we can teach our kids and ourselves, like, okay, in these moments, you know, what tool can I pull out to, you know, bring my heart rate down to reduce my anxiety? For me as a kid, I have both ADHD and dyslexia. It was, you know, I think often like, oh my gosh, what if I didn't start dabbling in meditation until my twenties? I'm like, what if I would have known 
how to, you know, focus in on something, turn my brain from a light bulb to a laser pointer at eight, as opposed to 28 with a child, you know, in the nineties with ADHD and undiagnosed dyslexia, like how would things be different? And so our kids are only getting more anxious and overworked and stressed and burnt out just like we are. So if it's impacting us, it's impacting them too. And so I love this idea and it's true of kind of the nervous system reset. Mm -hmm. And I think also asking yourself, like the idea of teaching our kids pause and turn inward of like, because emotions are complex, feelings are complex, anxiety is complex, right? So pause and look inward, like what's actually happening beneath the surface, which meditation and mindfulness, just teaching people how to be an objective observer of what's happening within you and around you. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's so good. I worry about anxiety. I mean, I worry about anxiety as a diagnosis becoming so much part, a part of people's identity instead of Mm -hmm. being able to separate it as a normal emotion within the human experience. And I know that gets, that can get a little bit controversial to say, because I'm not saying that a diagnosis isn't legitimate or that there shouldn't be methods for managing that diagnosis. But I, I mean, I worry in general about the more I sort of dig into health and, um, and you know, our medical system and our healthcare system, I worry so much about a diagnosis becoming your identity. I am this, I have this because I think anxiety is it is also an emotion. It's not, it's, it's not always, it's a feeling. It's like, I'm going, I know as an adult, I, there are certain circumstances in which I will feel anxiety and that does not define who I am as a person. That is part of my experience as a human being on this planet. Hi everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. When you say that, the thing that pops up in my mind is, of course, like everything is kind of like a spectrum. But when we look at it through the mindfulness and meditation lens, we really are looking at like the experience of anxiety. And so whether you're having short lived, like I, after the birth of my son, I did experience some pretty intense, but short lived postpartum anxiety, specifically Mm -hmm. around him sleeping. And, you know, I didn't let myself sleep for like two weeks because I was worried what something bad happens while he's sleeping. Yeah. And it's just one of the, you know, there are many different factors. It can be short lived or it can be this long chronic thing. But when we look at it, at least for me, in terms of the meditation mindfulness lens and anxiety, we're looking at like the feeling of it and the experience in the moment of anxiety, regardless of what's happening around. And like, what do I do in that moment to kind of just quiet down the nervous system a little bit? What's something I can do to just release it just a little bit? And and meditation mindfulness really focuses on the tools that you can use. Maybe learn the tools, you know, in the past, but like, how do I apply them to the immediate present right now? Whether it's, you know, you sometimes as adults or as people, we go to places and we get anxiety. 
but we also can have, you know, chronic crippling anxiety. We can have very short-lived, you know, postpartum anxiety from hormonal shifts, things like that. Like, but meditation teaches us like, what can I do in the moment when I feel anxiety, regardless of my history with it or the circumstances that we're experiencing it with? But that's what, that's what I think of that. I think that's really beautifully said because what you're doing is you're not discounting somebody who at their core may experience anxiety at every turn in a way that I may not understand that. And that's where a diagnosis for anxiety would come in. And and Elizabeth, I don't think you're talking about that kind of thing, but to your, to your point, Elizabeth is when somebody's diagnosed that with severe or debilitating anxiety, I am curious about what tools beyond medication are often offered to that person. So let's put that person aside because that's bigger than we can really talk about right now. But what it is, what it is, and I think a, um, a conversation starter for is what if when your child is two, you're giving them those tools at such an early age on how to deal with anxiety in the moment? What will that child look like at 7, 9, 13, 15, 18? How will they respond to the anxious moments that will come their way? Um, We are surrounded by busy schedules. We're surrounded by sort of debilitating news in a way that I think young children weren't before. I mean, I, I will often ask my children, like, you you have your whole lives in front of you. How do you deal with the ideas of climate change and these overwhelming conversations that are happening now that are sort of apocalyptic? You know, they are in a way that I didn't experience at 20. But so you look at that and you think, okay, that's why I'm so excited about what I can't wait to see the book, number one. But it's like all we can do is the best that we can do when those children are in our homes. And I look at this and I think, what possibly could it hurt to train your child or to model for your child ways to deal with what surrounds them? and to be able to be confident in their own centerpiece. And I think that's what's amazing because honestly, no harm can come of this at all. Yeah, yeah. Nothing bad is going to happen if you teach a child to look inward. Right, right. So, or yeah. I think it's take exciting. a little bit to do some meditation. And what I love about the book too, because I got a little sneak peek at it when Kelly was on Twin Cities Live, is that um, it's, it is really great in terms of, I think, how you could utilize it for sure is reading the whole thing. But then also I think just flipping to a page, just like opening a page and then looking at that particular idea that Kelly outlines in terms of how to integrate a meditation practice into your life and into your family. And I love that Marjorie, because I do think there is a place always for like a medication option. You know, I think those things as the be all end all, this is you for the rest of your life. I mean, every person I've talked to who's been diagnosed with something, who's heard like, okay, this is just your life now. You hear that with Crohn's disease. You hear that with a lot of like chronic things where it's like, this is your life now. You have to take these pills where you can, I I, I would hope that we're shifting to a place of this is the short-term fix. Now let's look at the root and then get to what we can do the long-term fix and what can be the daily shifts, whether it's food and meditation and exercise and sauna and like all those different things that can have such an impact that that would be the way that we're going. Frankly, I I mean, I would say it kind of has to be because I think our current system is like 
totally unsustainable. <laughs> like, and our I, current yeah. level of just the way <laughs> that we run at a hundred miles an hour is also unsustainable, <laughs> but, um, you're helping to slow it down, Kelly. Oh, you know, I'm trying my best. And I second what you say, Elizabeth, as, as a household that is made up of one parent that is a physician and one parent that is a meditation teacher, I think we both like in my household have come to the conclusion that like the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle, right? Yes. It's like, trust your doctors, trust data, trust research, like, and also like you said, there's, there's no harm in learning how to turn inward or, you know, my husband will even tell his high blood pressure patients, like, Maybe you should look into meditation because there's tons of data that supports lowering your blood pressure with medication and also meditation. So like usually the answer can sometimes be both. Yeah. And that's yeah. like the sweet spot is kind of, you know, how do I nourish my body, mind, soul long-term and also how do I utilize modern medicine to support my body in the now? And like the sweet spot tends to be kind of in the middle. Not that oh, we gosh, don't have I spicy, might need your husband you know, to be my doctor. I like that. That's this is you know what I, but it's but you he, know what it's really interesting. We have some spicy dinner conversations sometimes, <laughs> but that's her and him being like, "Oh, really? Can you go X-ray your chakras and see where you have a blockage?" No, but you know that's. <laughs> but when it comes to you know how meditation and mindfulness impacts the body, like the research backs it up too, and so a lot of times it's like, why not both? I think, and I think, the hard. And this is hard to say because I know so many mothers are so tired, but the mm -hmm. important thing is even before we talk about doing this with our children, you have to do it for yourself because you can try and teach them to meditate. You could look at pages at your book. You could do all of those things, but what the kids are going to follow, the kids are going to follow who you are. And it's amazing mm -hmm. to me. All of my friends have adult children and their children are like them. This is no yeah. big surprise. So what you're modeling is what your children will become. And so if if you are going to get this book, use it for yourself first and try and find the way to be more peaceful, to, to slow things down, to be more mindful, to be present, because that's the most important thing, I think, that you're modeling that for them first. And then they'll listen to you when you actually have what you've given them with this book, the tools to try and teach them how to do it. Or they might remind you in the moment, hey, yeah. mama, take a deep That's breath right. Wouldn't before that be you lose your S-H-I-T on everybody. I get yeah. it. <laughs> Kelly, congratulations on the book. We love having you. you. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. And, Thank you so um, much. We'll, of course, link up in the show notes where you can get the book and link up um, Kelly's information. And again, I always encourage you. I mean, she's really got these. Some of them are really short. Some are like seven minutes. I mean, these quick meditations that we're not talking about sitting and oming yourself for an hour at a time. <laughs> These can be really quick things. And, um, and she's a gift because she is not annoying when she tells you how to meditate. And that's the nicest important. thing anyone can say to me. Thank you. <laughs> You're not annoying. That is wonderful. <laughs> and please keep us updated on, uh, oh, I will, I, I will. And I'm going to get you both a copy of the book so you can see it. You I can hold it in your hands and can't wait. Well, yeah, Kelly, I'll bring it to maybe. class. This is what we talk about in class. So oh please, my gosh. please, okay, well, I would, I would love that. I'm, I'll get you one. That would be wonderful. But I'm so excited. Number two, as Elizabeth and I know, is so much yeah. fun. It's oh, so really? much fun. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Okay. I'm excited. I've been a little worried. That makes no, me no, feel no, good. No, 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 no. It's, you're going to, I think fun. you'll enjoy it a little bit more. It, yeah. I did okay. at least. And I did too. as you talk about sort of your postpartum anxiety, 
mm-hmm. and the sleeping and all the things. Um, I was just like nodding. Cause that was me eight years ago when I had my first and, um, and sometimes I didn't even realize that I had such bad postpartum anxiety until I had my second. And I was like, oh my oh. gosh, <laughs> this is how it's supposed to go. Yeah. Okay. You that makes me feel great. In this dark tornado of misery <laughs> and fear and anxiety, you can just like live your life. <laughs> okay. Well, that makes me really excited that, you know, that's good. Cause it's one, one thing that my therapist told me in those dark, dark moments that always resonated with me was a well-cared for mother leads to a well-cared for child. And, and that's always stuck with me and it's something that I apply and do differently the second time around for sure. I love that therapist. That's good advice for everybody. She's great. Thanks, Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or go to besttothenest.com as well. We are the podcast that brings you home.